Hello and welcome to Get With The Programme with me, Michael Sheridan. This series is all about the TV and digital industry in conversation with the people who work in it. There's a bit of a twist on this edition of the podcast, as not only will we be chatting to an array of industry professionals about their work, we'll also be exploring television and digital content's power to be a catalyst for substantial and impactful change in society. So sit back, relax, and let's dive into TV and digital content's place in a post-pandemic world. Oh, and thanks for not skipping intro. Think back to when you were a kid and where you grew up. What you saw, the people around you, the things that shaped your perspective on the world. And how would it feel to revisit that place, but with a camera crew documenting your experience? Well, that's exactly what journalist and documentary maker Amber Hack has been up to, presenting the second series of BBC Three's Hometown. And she's here today to talk to me all about the documentary, about growing up in and amongst several cultures, and about her career at the BBC. Hi, Amber. It's great to have you on the podcast. How are you today? Yeah, all good. Thank you, Michael. Good, good. So this podcast is all about TV and digital and careers. And you were on the Ones to Watch talent scheme at the Edinburgh TV Festival a couple of years ago. Um, But before all that, how did you first get into the media? Where did you first start? Do you know what? I was thinking about this earlier, knowing that you'd probably want to know about this. And this experience I'm doing at the moment, um, this series called Hometown, which has brought me back home, it's actually uh-huh. triggered a lot of thinking about how this journey into sort of becoming a journalist even started. And because I have always grown up like between very different worlds, I've always been a bit of a mashup of sort of like identities and. So my dad was born in like a tiny village in Pakistan, comes from a very sort of traditional Orthodox Pakistani Muslim family. So he moved here when he was 13. And then my mum is like a proper northerner um, on her side. My granddad came from Bangladesh in 50s or 60s, um, met my nana, who is a white scouser, they moved to a very working class part of Moss Side, probably one of the first at that time, really, from the stories they used to tell me, like mixed race couple, you know, faced horrific racism and discrimination. And I think, you know, growing up between two very different worlds, because I have got, you know, my Pakistani family and my roots there, but then I've got roots in, you know, Salford. I've got a white family that live in Salford. Um, so I had like a bit of a cultural clash going on but then I went to like an all-girls school my mum and dad brought us up in to be honest quite a nice like suburb of Manchester so growing up between two very different worlds in terms of class as well and I think there was something about maybe my sense of not fitting in that made me really interested in how humans work I think it was like a skill that I picked up to sort not survive but like you know know how to navigate these different worlds that I kind of grew up in. Um, and so I was always like really interested in how people worked. And I think whenever you are, although well, it's speak on everyone's behalf, but when you are like the kid of a migrant, you're always aware of like your roots because you know that you come from somewhere different and you're interested in your sort of place in the world. So I always had that kind of curiosity. So I knew I wanted to do something related to like people and, you know, how the human condition works and stuff but I think looking back on it wasn't necessarily something that was like encouraged at school you know it wasn't 
really a career that necessarily was like that talked about. Um, but the first time I remember feeling the kind of impact that the media can have was I was probably about 11 years old or something and I watched this panorama that was called Secret Policeman um, and it was basically about uh, an investigative journalist he went undercover in the Met Police exposed all this like, institutional racism just horrific things really laid bare and all this undercover filming and it was that first sort of sense of wow like the police who when you're a kid you don't really think oh you're really like fearing of the police they're there to protect you this first sort of engaging with challenging authority and like oh would they treat my dad differently because he looks differently and went to uni I just did English at uni but interestingly the first step I took into the media was not necessarily where I've ended up and so I actually started doing sports journalism it was great, but I think it was my first insight into the challenges of sort of doing this career as a young woman. Um, I mean, bear in mind, this is over the course of 10 years. So I think the industry has definitely changed for the better in terms of gender representation in sports journalism and ethnic representation. But I remember feeling like there was this kind of undercurrent of slight misogyny there and slight sort of... Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't take you seriously because you're younger. And I kind of felt like I wanted more in terms of like the purpose and the kind of reasons behind why I wanted to be a journalist. So then did a year in Salford in Media City. I'd always wanted to get on the journalism trainee scheme that the BBC did because Media City had been going for, I don't know, like five years or so. Um, mm-hmm. And it was this great hub to work in Manchester. And the second time I applied, I got onto the journalism trainee scheme. But it was when I was there, I first sort of got this sense of how even when you are young, you can sort of use your ideas. Um, You know, your ideas are like your currency, really. Like those are the things that you can carry with you. I remember when I worked at um, BBC in Manchester, it was the first time I ever saw Victoria Derbyshire programme on the telly because it would always be on the little monitors we had on. And I think it's an important reminder of how, like, when you're that age, how much visual representation on the TV does actually make a difference in terms of things feeling accessible. Because with Victoria Derbyshire programme, they would have quite young reporters, very diverse reporters. It wasn't just, you know, who I was seeing in terms of the people fronting the pieces, but like the types of contributors. And so I applied for a job there, not necessarily really thinking I was going to be qualified enough to get It's always the, job the really. way in it. Just 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 give it a go and just see what and let them make the judgment on whether or not, you know, you're experienced enough kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah. Well that's a bit a big theme of a lot of things I think I've realised in this kind of uh whatever it is, six years I've been sort of doing Yeah, it, same. It's <laughs> like you never feel ready for it. You turn no. up and you're like, and I just thought this is too much of a great opportunity to pass up. Victoria Derbyshire programme was, anybody that worked there would say as an absolute baptism of fire. I don't know if I will ever learn as much as I did in those two years, just because they were such formative years for me. Coming into an organisation like the BBC, the imposter syndrome was real. Like I was the youngest in the team. Oh my god, imposter syndrome is such a is such a thing, isn't it? Like whenever you work for like 
an organization or a company that's got you know that's quite prestigious or that's quite well known you always get this sense but i think it's quite normal though like i think everyone gets that sense of oh should i be here am i <laughs> you know i mean i still i still have it have it now doing what i'm doing yes so do i yeah. so do i very normal <laughs> it's so normal but i've learned to make friends with it because at the end of the day it's mm-hmm. always just a sign if you're in the right place because you're going to learn here you're going to push those comfort zones it was one of the first at the time really trying to push the boundaries within the bbc of like young people being able to like own their stories and that's good which this is going to sound like the most obvious thing to do now but it really was innovative at the time was how can we make news daily on tv news travel digitally so we were a digital first program even though we were on the tv we just had to be a jack of all trades you know it was Mm -hmm. you find your own story you pitch it to the editor, you've got to find all the contributors, you go and interview them. Uh, sometimes we even filmed our own stuff, then you'd sit in the edit. So we did absolutely everything. I was noticing that I was defaulting more and more to doing not necessarily stories about London, but always defaulting to getting contributors from London. You don't like go out as much in London, you're on the phone a lot more, like it's just I wasn't doing like the more old school kind of journalism that I used to do, which was a lot more going to see people and being out there. And that's always what I'd kind of wanted to do, the more longer form, in-depth. We sort of called it like Mm. access. Access Access-led, yeah. Access-style content, you know, where you're building access within communities and really getting under the skin of stuff. Um, So I decided to move back. That's like two and a half, three years ago now. and turn freelance so that was tricky as well because it's a totally when you're leaving somewhere like the BBC you know you've had this kind of safe pair of arms wrapped around you it's you know a massive organization which is incredible because you can move within it so easily Mm. and particularly in MBH you're always bumping into people you can get to meet people quite easily so leaving is that is that a new broadcasting house is that a uh that little yeah. acronym all bbc acronyms <laughs> bbc all very, terms yeah 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 in house um so leaving that was a challenge um and you know having to build a whole new network up here which you didn't necessarily have yeah. i wanted more time and breathing space to really like cover stories properly and you know you can only really do that in the more longer form side of stuff Mm. but yeah with freelance it's the whole other challenge of um you know you do a lot of working for free well I did anyway because when you're working in I get paid via commissions really for stories so there's a lot of finding stories Mm. and you know spending so much time researching stuff thinking about what's going to actually make the cut and then finding the right homes for them and stuff it it can be a lot of legwork um and I think I learned a lot of lessons in how to do that effectively in a way where you're actually going to make, you know, an income and, you know, how, how to kind of manage that. Um, and then almost sort of out of nowhere, as these things do, as we've discussed, uh, just really randomly saw an advert for um, an indie. We're looking for a new reporter to do the next series of Hometown. Um yeah. So I was living in Yorkshire. I wasn't actually living in my hometown. I was in Yorkshire at the time, um, back near Leeds where I went to uni. 
and I saw that and it it's kind of one of these experiences where I thought wow you never really necessarily see a BBC three uh, job like that advertised kind of the the net being cast quite wide like that mm. I thought I really want to apply for this I'd love to do that the first um season if you've not seen it was amazing it really was kind of like very innovative did something very yeah. different that I'd never kind of seen done before it's kind of in like a podcasty form it's very cleverly it's quite different to a lot of other long you know longer documentary series that you see isn't it yeah, exactly. They weren't looking for a presenter. It's like you need to like have a story that you can own and be connected to. And I remember I got, I got forwarded it on a week before the deadline. And I was like, nothing's coming to my mind. I just can't think of a story. And then all of a sudden it was like, you know, when you're having a shower or like you're going for a walk, I was like, oh, there was that case. There was that case that happened earlier this year. I was like, what's happened with that case you know and and it is sometimes that that's how these things happen and like Jez the exec on hometown always laughs because I basically sent him like a flow chart of like thought vomit basically of like all these things I was like that and this story connects to this side of Manchester and getting that insight into how it works in terms of like what commissioners want and how pitching works and you know I've never seen that side of the industry at all and it's incredibly intimidating when you've never been in that side of the industry and I've never worked with an indie I've never even though we're making this for BBC three sort of left the comfort zone of working within a BBC structure and doing that mm-hmm. with an indie and even knowing you we talked about acronyms before like MBH you know that documentary side of the world's got a yeah. whole other set of acronyms like lingo what's an SP and not be afraid to say when you don't know what that means. That's been something I've pushed myself to do a lot. Because um, you naturally think, well, people are just going to think you don't know what you're on about. Oh, you don't know what yeah. SP is. You don't know what this is. There's only one way you do know, isn't there? It's by asking. That's a huge thing, isn't it? Because I think people often feel like, oh, can I ask that? Can I? But I always just think, you know, no one's gonna, no one's gonna judge you for, you know, for asking a question. You know, yeah. asking questions is good, I think. And it, actually, it's. As a journalist, I suppose it's like one of your key parts of your job is asking people loads of questions and kind of digging into their lives. And what did you find was the difference between working in news journalism compared to, I know you said you were sort of passionate about moving back towards kind of longer form, access-led um, sort of style of documentary. So what what have you found um, the differences between working on something like Hometown compared to working on Victoria Derbyshire show? The biggest thing really is... I'd say time and tone, which are two really big things because the time that you have to obviously create what we call like a VT, which goes on like the news, more often than not, that's like, you know, sometimes a a day turnaround, a couple of weeks at max, but you are having to really like squash big issues into let's say, you know, answer one that portrays this perspective, answer one that portrays that perspective, maybe a bit of an expert in between. And obviously always, like, especially at the BBC, trying to give a well-rounded, balanced sort of take on an issue. But it is very hard to... What I sort of describe getting to, like, the naughtiness of certain issues. So, for example, with, um, with the hometown that we're putting together at the moment, it's incredibly multi-layered. It's definitely not about one thing in particular, but it. But the main sort of arc is it's it's sort of about 
youth violence and the prevalence of like knife crime um, within the city all sort of centered around one story that's brought me back home. But like I've been pulled in so many unexpected directions. But that issue of knife crime, I remember covering that a lot when I was at Victoria Derbyshire Programme. When you've got the breathing space to do something like hometown and you're adding your own personal narrative in there, people you know, it allows you to sort of show that, firstly, there really is not one answer to a lot of these things. Um, And I think within the communities that these things actually affect, you're making them feel like they're not just quick hit sort of um, sound bites or, you know, their experience cannot just be condensed down into one thing. And, Mm. you know, we've got no idea yet because we're still sort of editing this what kind of impact this will have at the very least this is going to be given members of um some communities in manchester will never ever have heard what their neighbor thinks about the same issue like i don't think they will have ever had the opportunity to properly hear the other side a lot of these young people and their families the only time that they're actually being heard is within a court case you know when they're pulled in front of a judge and there's never that opportunity to understand what might have got a child to that point, Mm -hmm. you know, having now witnessed quite a lot of court cases that cover Mm. this stuff. They're very focused on like the moment of that incident and there's never any sort of, and I know that's not a court of laws place to do is to sort of piece together what's happened in a child's life, but you never get that opportunity to sort of really look at it. Hometown is like, Nothing I've ever worked on before and probably will ever work on again because you obviously only have one hometown, first of all. When you do do something like this, because I am used to doing, as a journalist, very objective looks at things, very sort of a detached look. You know, I don't have an opinion in hometown, but obviously there's there's slight elements of that given, you know, I've grown up in this place. Yeah, so some, some of it feeds into it from your lived experience, I would imagine, as well, from growing up there. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of that. Um, that is the key premise of it. It is actually hometown that's triggered a lot of these thoughts in me that I never really felt like I did belong to just one particular place. Like I said earlier, you know, it was growing up. My roots are in the diverse ethnic parts of South Manchester and the places that, you know, my dad and granddad first moved to um, where, you know, communities are still being very much left behind and the inequality gap is getting bigger. But then I had mates that live in, millionaires row and posh cheshire and and so having to do this story like on your doorstep it it comes with a lot of it's both absolutely invigorating and like nothing you'll you know have ever ever done before and an opportunity to like show your own vulnerability which mm. we don't really ever normally get the opportunity to do that as a as a journalist anyway you know and maybe more presenter type um People can do that, but with journalists, we are generally more detached observers presenting sort of facts. So I've really enjoyed that side of it, um, particularly, you know, being a, a female journalist covering a story which is primarily about young men. You know, I've never seen issues like this so up close. A lot of my stories have tended to be, if they were going to be kind of gendered, they always have really been about women, to be honest done a lot about women within my own community, you know, issues affecting women globally. 
this is the first story I'd say I've done, which has been fully about young men, to be honest. Um, and I think being a female looking at these issues and looking at it from a lens of vulnerability, like I've noticed we do tend to put a lot of labels in terms of, you know, victim, perpetrator, defendant, yeah. you know, and I just, it's never that simple. And I think that's the power of doing something as well as a BBC journalist from like an impartial perspective. I think, you know, the BBC is obviously constantly, it feels like under a lot of scrutiny and yeah, um, people sort of questioning its place in... There's a sense of distrust, I think, isn't there, with, you know, with bias and things like that. I think there's a lot of that generally amongst the like sort of general British public about yeah its position in the world and well its position in in the sort of country really as a media institution yeah it really is and community trust in the media has been very eroded we're talking over generations to be honest um of certain labels that have been used within the media like you know Manchester used to be known as Gunchester back in the day that was like the big you know, label that we would like. Yeah, in the 90s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was very synon- synonymous with certain communities in Manchester, very unfairly, actually, because, you know, Manchester had violence in Salford and Withenshaw and areas that were, you know, more predominantly white areas, but it felt like those labels stuck more in certain parts of town where it was your more migrant ethnic communities where, you know, that's my roots, like I said. Um, so coming face to face with that at times on camera and off camera has been really challenging because I think it feels, mm. feels all the more wounding when you're from there. Cause you're like, hang on, but you know, I, I'm one of you, you know what I mean? I feel your pain like my own, but cause I've come with that journalist cap on, there's this sense of, yeah, but we've seen your lot come round here and do more damage than good before. And you know, that is a real big challenge because you've got to be careful that you don't perpetuate and reinforce some of these negative stereotypes. Our job is not to give that particular right answer. It's to just give you space to express what you feel, you know, in a way that's balanced, sensitive, all the things that we want, you know, and really giving the time to build in that access, which I, I feel like we've been able to do because... You can only really do that in documentary. And I think it's a big blessing that the BBC and BBC Three have been so generous like with the time scale and the freedom. You know, it's unlike anything I've ever worked on before where, I've been, you know, I and us as a team have been given so much trust because you don't know with hometown where you're going to end up. Like, yeah, it's... as you go kind of thing. Because I know like when I obviously worked on it with you at this the start of 2021 I, I I'm I was surprised when you said it was still it was still unfolding I was like oh wow you know that's that's over a year so it really shows the depth that you're going to, you know that you're going to in that in a way that news storytelling often can't because you've got to kind of get the simple facts across you've got to get the story across in a succinct way whereas with this it seems like you know because they've given you a lot of time you're able to dig around the nuances definitely we want to show that these issues are universal and they're global and they're like international like you know inequality and class and 
all these conversations about young men, they're pretty universal sort of things. So you are kind of worried of how things are going to be perceived, yeah. especially when you're doing things um, about young people. It's the most tragic thing to have seen so up close and it has kind of impacted me. I think it dawns on you, like the stuff that you've actually seen up close, um, which obviously when it's teenagers losing their life, a lot of the time just so extremely senselessly um is heartbreaking you get to know their families really closely and it always reminds me of a kind of line that one of the contributors said to me when I sat down and chatted to her she was like everybody always wants to look for a reason why you know but a lot of the you know why did my child get killed why did my boyfriend get killed why did my brother get killed but a lot of the times there is kind of no real reason a lot of the time this stuff is very senseless and very sort of like multi-dimensional why it's actually going on um but yeah we do we did a lot of going to crime scenes and stuff and actually so not only are you meeting people in the aftermath but you're actually turning up not knowing what to expect or what's going to unfold in front of your eyes um at live crime scenes and seeing that up close and personal in your hometown it does make you quite hyper aware of how much it's going on, makes you more paranoid. You know, you're aware of like, my family still live here. It's honestly yeah, been a really, yeah. Yeah. Impacting experience. Even if you're even if you're not from the area that you're, you know, you're you're looking into or you know, even if you don't have direct experience of it, you know, it's it can still be quite perhaps traumatic to be dealing with these issues up close but even more so when it's like it feels kind of personal to you because you've grown up here and you know you know that world do do you feel as though there's kind of like enough support in place for journalists in in this way I mean if I'm honest on the whole no you know I, I mean I don't think in any side of our industry it feels like from what everybody says across the board there's enough support for us who are actually working within it not only are you working incredibly long hours when you do this stuff and it's very intensive in terms of like the actual labor but we always talk a lot about duty of care to contributors um yes duty yeah. of care to like them and their vulnerabilities and you know mm. how it's going to be perceived for them but we don't talk a lot about our own the duty of care like to us um in my case I've got, you know, we're not only dealing with at times, you know, dangerous people, like areas where there's spikes of violence, um, you know, areas where my family still work, you know, are known in those communities. With hometown, you're relying a lot on like your personal contacts. I don't know if you've seen this Looking Glass report. Is this about is this about the TV industry? Yes. Eighty percent of survey respondents thought that workload intensity had negatively affected their mental health. Almost 60% experienced some form of abuse in the 12 months prior to the survey, bullying, sexual, racial harassment. 40% of black, Asian and minority ethnic respondents experienced racist abuse in the past year. So, And then 43% of them considered leaving as a result of that. Among all respondents, almost 70% considered leaving the industry in the past year over mental well-being concerns. Like, I was floored. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That it was that much, really. Yeah. Um, That's bad, isn't it? Yeah. 
That's really bad. But I think, yeah, like to, to bring it back to a positive, I think there is a shift going on yeah. amongst, you know, the newer generation of wanting to talk about these things. Like even, you know, within our own production team, you know, I sort of thought it would be a good idea for us to speak together about our communication styles. How do we like to like receive feedback? How do we like to talk to each other? Because we all know what it's like. It gets incredibly like pressurized with working deadlines. It's incredibly hard. And actually it was really refreshing to sit and speak in that way. And what do you think the industry as a whole can do to kind of, you know, to, to tackle that? Well, I think obviously it's got to start with conversations, first of all. I remember, so I started with a therapist like about six months or so ago and never really done it before. And I was thinking now's a really interesting opportunity to do this because with hometown you get a lot of like your personal life as well seeping into like your professional life and I was interested to speak to somebody about those boundaries interestingly she said to me um because I said you deal you're talking a lot with people every single day as part of your profession who were shedding a lot of layers to you they're sharing a lot a lot of difficult things from their life a lot of vulnerability I was like sometimes I feel the same you know and you feel the sense of like, responsibility what they're telling you and like how to get this right and like the pressures of that kind of stuff um and I said no it's part of our job but like how do you cope with it and interestingly she was like well you know we have therapists as part of what we do oh really they have to make sure that they are speaking to people to share the burden and share the load and and I was like wow "Wow." and she said you know I kind of feel Mm. like in your industry you should be having that as well right definitely it's very hard and like the nature of access building particularly over like long long periods of time is you do become quite intertwined in people's lives and those boundaries are quite hard to maintain so I think it just you know it's good for this to be something we sort of discuss and talk about more because those stats are pretty shocking what you said about therapy I think that's you know just just generally like not even just in our industry like in a, I think that in America, it's quite common for most yeah. people to have like, you know, their own therapist. But in the UK so much, it's not it's not so much a, a thing. But I think that it's just for me, I think it's just like I have a therapist. Mm. And for me, it's like going to the gym. You don't go to the gym to necessarily, you know, fix anything. You just go to build your body up and make sure your body's healthy. So for me, it's the same with your mind. Like your mind is just another part of your body. So by going to therapy is just another way of kind of keeping well, that keeping yeah. that organ healthy you know but there but there is there is a lot of pressures in our in our industry particularly and especially in the work that you know that you do in in that way because you know I've, I've I've seen you obviously you know worked on hometown like interview people and like you say people do kind of sometimes bear their soul and they do trust you and it's it must be very challenging because you know on one hand you're you're sitting down with this person and you're seeing them as a whole human being and they're seeing you as a whole human being and they're they're trusting you to tell their story on the other side you know it's still I guess it's still a job and you still you know have to produce something for you know for for the channel so it must be really challenging where those two things intersect and and even more so when it is so personal for you because you know everybody love well not you don't necessarily always love where you're from it's kind of a love-hate relationship i think with where you grow up the city i don't love my town to be honest i think my town's a bit crap but yeah where are you from (laughs) i'm from cheshire but not the posh part the crap part oh okay yeah yeah old cheshire yeah (laughs) but you you know either way you feel like you want to be part of their like history if you're gonna be a part like Mm. a tiny tiny part of like their history for the right reason right you want to kind of contribute when you are doing these covering things that are very contentious and you're never going to be able to make 
everyone happy that you've given them the space to express what it is that they feel and that is what our job that is what our job is for me as well at points during home time it's quite funny you know my partner has to be like Amber it's time to stop looking at Greater Manchester Police's Twitter updates now. Yeah, yeah bed, like, you, know, you can become all consumed by it. And it's kind yeah. of, a, you know, mm. I think especially as a journalist, it is a bit of a badge of honour to like live, breathe and eat your story. That like, I definitely am a little bit like that. I can get quite consumed by it, but it's having that healthy balance and knowing the point where it is good to turn off because you're going to be better at your work when you do do that thing. Yeah, I think I think balance is everything. My brain's not particularly good at not switching off and relaxing either. So, you know, it is about kind of striking that balance, you know, between kind of, yeah, work life, especially in the whole kind of working from home, you know, situation that we've sort of been in the last the last two years. I know we've obviously talked about there's a lot of there's a lot of problems in the industry at the same time it's still a great industry to work in and there's a lot you know a, a lot of good in it and a lot a lot that people can get from it and grow so for people that wanted to start out what kind of advice would you give to someone that's like you know doesn't have an experience or has a bit of experience but you know wants to wants to yeah. get, get into it yeah i mean i should start by saying i know we have had a little talk there about the sort of intensity but oh like absolutely from the second i have entered this industry to now always just thank my lucky stars for doing it because I just find it so fascinating it's everything like I talked to you about when I was a kid that I was interested in which has just been so curious and interested in how human beings work and the human condition and that's that's your everyday I'd say the biggest things that I have learned when I first joined the industry that felt like I need to conform you know I need to that imposter syndrome made me feel like I needed to sort of talk and act and be the same as all these other people who are at the BBC that kind of uniqueness you fear at first but ironically the now I've realized that particularly doing something like hometown the authenticity is what everyone is craving that is yes. actually where the true creativity is at is when you've got that variety at your table when you're discussing ideas and coming up with things that is your strength yes yeah, it's, it's a superpower isn't it you're bringing your whole self and your identity and culture and what you know is, is a superpower I think definitely and I think like I can think back really quickly to when I got that job at Victoria Arbitrary Program and I was sat in that interview it's just come back to me really randomly I remember one of the questions Louisa asked me was um I think it was at some kind of anniversary of like the Iraq war or like maybe some soldiers were coming back some kind of moment was happening with the Iraq war and she was saying how should we cover it this has been a really significant sort of event that so many like young Muslims of our generation have been really impacted by it's like been one of the biggest western interventions in our lifetime and in, in a Muslim country and I sort of like just started kind of like sharing this idea with her of like we could go to this Kurdish area of London and everyone chills and like the milkshake bars and the shisha bars. And I'd be really interested, you know, they'd be there on that Eid and I'd be really interested to get their take on how much of a significant event this was in their life. And it was like not the kind of thing that if I hadn't allowed myself to use, because that might feel a minor, you know what I mean? I couldn't think of like the best MP or the most profound like army leader that maybe radio format get on to talk about that story but she was like that's the kind of thing I'm looking for in people you know where that lived experience and that unusual take on things is something that makes you see stuff differently um and I'd say you know seeing 
the ideas and stories are everywhere. Um, you know, they're in every conversation you're having with your mate on the weekend, what you might overhear on the bus, you know, what the cabbie is ranting to you about. Some of the best stories I've found like that. There's so many stories everywhere and, and kind of really own that. That's a really big currency in a thing that you can take everywhere. Everybody wants to be offered something, right? It's something that can just help you stand out. And another thing I think I've definitely learned is just being comfortable and happy to like be the youngest and be the most inexperienced and allowing yourself to learn. Um, because that's, you know, even through this experience, like not knowing a lot about how this side of the industry works asking you know and and kind of sometimes you do get that feedback you know this is just how it works like this is just what that person in that job role does and sometimes I've been like but you know I don't really see myself as just a presenter or you know I just pushing yourself to like ask for certain things and it's all right to learn it just is an incredibly interesting varied purpose-filled knackering but incredible <laughs> like industry yeah to work in absolutely and there's and, and there's always something to be learned as well and you know what 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 do you think it is about tv and digital content really that that is really impactful and really does make a change in the world do you think i mean at its most basic but most profound to be honest it's starting conversations because i think as humans we've been story sharers since time began you know, it's such a powerful thing that we do together and share. And it's been the way like our history has been passed on. And, you know, I think we undervalued it where you could imagine like our ancestors sat around the fire, like sharing stories. It's always been a part of the human condition. The importance of truth and kind of information sharing has never been like more important. It's not just making a nice glossy like documentary to get on the most viewed on BBC iPlayer you know it's a really healthy part of democracy and like a healthy society to have spaces where we can information share and show nuances and so many stories every single day do have change that I've seen it firsthand with so many stories I've worked on like law changes hearing about issues discussed in like classrooms for the first time where girls are learning about certain types of honor violence like it's I would say most journalists do what we do for that reason at the very minimum to start a conversation and it's special absolutely yeah that was such a a really thoughtful well well thought out response you know we've always been storytellers we've always passed stories around and it's also you know crucial to sharing you know sharing information and, and making impactful change i feel like you should have your own podcast amber you're so you're so good at like do you you're I'm so yeah you're so good you're so good at expressing <laughs> you know these I'd, things i'd yeah. love to be on your side of it though because i like yeah i like asking people questions, questions. It's yeah, weird, yeah yeah like, it being put on you kind of thing i think uh, yeah like it's it's funny like what i was saying earlier about this um like when i first joined the bbc like and even have it a little bit now yeah. contending with it slightly in these conversations where you feel like you should be saying something really profound or you should be like coming out with something that's, I don't know, quoting some kind of like report or some future direction of like the industry. But 
actually, you know what I'm all about is like definitely the things that actually connect us and like keeping it simple because you know the whole purpose of this podcast is to try and also like encourage lots of people from wide spectrums of society to feel like we have an accessible industry and i know the reason why the people who do it for the right reasons is the simple the simple stuff you know it's just human stuff and i've that that's i'm trying to become more comfortable with that because that is how i work so but yeah it's funny the little battles you have to go through to like not become industryified yeah yeah like to not to not get too caught up in the jargon and just to be like a normal yeah. a normal person Definitely. thank you so much for for coming on and joining me today it's been absolutely wonderful to hear about your career and how you started out and you know hometown um which will be on bbc iplayer soon um so yeah it's just been wonderful you've really kind of opened my eyes to journalism from a duty of care perspective and well you know just the industry from a duty of care perspective as well you know i think that's really really important thing to consider so yeah thank you so much thank you and it's been really nice to reunite with you it's kind of very strange that you're thinking back to that period of time yeah. we met last, last year, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time is a flyer. It really does. Really it does. Oh, me too. Well, thank you so much. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. There'll be more episodes coming soon. Please share with anyone that you think might be interested. Now, roll credits. You've been listening to Get With The Programme, a podcast produced and hosted by me, Michael Sheridan, alongside the Edinburgh TV Festival and the TV Foundation's talent schemes. If you'd like to work in TV but don't know where to start, why not check out the Network Talent Scheme? It's helped thousands of people launch a media career, including me. Or, if you're already working in the industry, the Ones to Watch scheme can help you take the next big steps in your career. Head to thetvfestival.com to find out more, or check us out on Instagram and Twitter, that's at thenetwork underscore TV, and at ones to watch underscore TV. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.